Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. Today, we will be speaking to Carly Shorman. Carly is the author of an excellent noir novel entitled The Saint of Lost Causes. She's also the host of the podcast The Mortician's Daughter and the creative mind behind the sci-fi serial podcast Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. Thank you so much for listening, and please consider giving this podcast any amount of monetary support for any length of time by subscribing to our Patreon. What first uh, drew you to writing? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I loved reading forever. Uh, writing just went hand in hand. I Anyway, I've been writing for as long as I can remember, as soon as I could read, I'd make up stories and uh, just always kind of been a the thing that I did in my off hours. Do you have a favorite book? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I can narrow the list maybe to five, but one is really hard because that changes, man. I mean, what if it's like a, you know, like I like Russian authors more in the winter than I do in the summer. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I could probably narrow the field, but it's hard to pick favorites. Uh, Invisible Man by Ellison is one of my favorite books ever. Uh, Marguerite Ra is probably my favorite writer. Um, and her book, The Ravishing of Lowell Stein, is my favorite of her au revoir. <laughs> um, the Brothers Karamazov, I love. Um, but Dune, I've read more than any other book ever. So a lot of people seem to say that about Dune. Oh, it's good. It's good. Every time it's good. I mean, um, there are issues, but good. Are you are you reading anything currently? Um, right now, I'm listening to uh, a, Mur a Murakami book on audiobook. Um, audiobook is a new thing for me, but I do a lot of driving sometimes, and so I've been enjoying that. And right now, I've been in a in a a writing mode. Generally, when I'm doing a lot of writing, I don't do as much reading. The reading is for the in-between times. So do you um when you're listening to an audiobook, do you listen to it in a certain way where like as a writer, you're kind of like taking in little tricks the way that you would if you were like looking at a book and just seeing like the sentence structure? Yeah, I think I think you get a real strong of the I think with it you get a really strong sense of the the prose, you know, it's when you're listening to it. For me, I don't really hear words when I'm reading, so it is a much different experience. And it took me a while to to make the shift where I could coherently follow everything that was being said, but it, it is it, it is a different type of experience of the book, but um, especially with books that I've already read or writers that I'm familiar with, you can you can begin to see it as you hear it. And Mirakami is a writer that I've read a lot, a lot of his books. So, um, so it's easy to see the way his sentences form. 
Yeah, I've been trying to do more like audiobooks, but it's been difficult. I'm currently listening to a book that's an oral history of the first decade of MTV called uh, I Want My MTV. Um, and that's extremely easy to listen to because it's just like different people going back and forth talking about stuff that I already know a lot about. But then when it comes to like something where there's like a linear plot and like my brain just like goes off on a on a tangent for like a minute and then I'll come back to it and I'll be like, wait, why is why is Brad doing this? Um, so I've been trying to work on that. I think we all have that struggle to some extent. And yeah. uh, I definitely have that. But I have to be like really engaged while I'm I can't listen for like a long period of time. It can't be like. It, it's not really a background thing I'm, i can do something with my hands but i can't focus my attention elsewhere like you have to you because like with me it's like i can do an audiobook if i'm like doing like a singular task like uh like doing the dishes or something but then if i'm like doing like multiple things where i'm like thinking about like oh i have to uh do this uh part of the yard over here or something something that where i'm actually thinking at all then it's it's totally it's, it's a losing I, game. Yeah, it all depends on where you phase out. Like if I'm doing dishes, I, I'm, I'm gonna lose focus on where I am and what's going on. Just the the that task in particular. Um, but if I'm doing something like organizing or putting things away, something that just has that slight variation, I can, I can follow the audiobook. Mm -hmm. So, um. What is your writing routine like? Oh my gosh. Um, so that is, that's a bit different. I write basically whenever I can. If there's time available, I can write. And that's, it's occasionally problematic because, you know, if I'm just sitting there all day writing, then, you know, you have to move. Mark brings me water. He makes sure that I, you know, stand up. So, mm -hmm. um, but, but I do spend a lot of time writing. It's not necessarily all good writing, but um, when I'm in a mode of writing, I should say I do a lot pretty consistently. Is it, so, do you have, have to have like a certain sort of like situation, like a certain amount of silence or lack of silence? No. I will literally write anywhere at any time. Once again, problematically, because I can't be at a show and watching my friends play and writing things at the same time, but I might do it anyway. Um, I'll, I uh, try not to write while I'm working because it's too distracting. Um, but I'm, when I first started writing and I was writing a lot about music, I would always be writing things on bar napkins. I'd be, you know, scribbling things down no matter where I was. And that just kind of got me into the habit of wherever I am being able to step out and if not physically, mentally and refocus on what I'm trying to say. Um. Is there anything you're working on right now that you feel like talking about? It's okay if not. Yeah, I have a, I generally have a number of things that I'm working on at one time and I work on them intermittently depending on how I feel that day. Mm -hmm. 
So I have a, a few different things in the work. I did take about a year off of writing. And so I just started getting it back into it last year. And um, yeah, I just try and pace it out so that I'm not, so I'm not sitting there writing every day of my entire life. But I could be like Henry Darger. You could just stick me in a room where I come home every day and just write until I go to bed. And then I get up and I do the same thing. But um, it's not necessarily the best option for us as individuals or artists. Is it um, essential for you to work on multiple things at once just for the sake of like not getting sick of any one particular thing? Or is there a reason for it? Yeah, I'm a real moody writer. So sometimes I want to work on something science fiction that's perhaps a little more uh, lighthearted than perhaps some more noir fiction that I would work on at a different time. Um, Graham Greene called his books either entertainment or literature. So he would divide it up. And some things are entertainments and some things are literature. I think most of my things are entertainments, but I like a variety. So um, sometimes I'll just switch off between them day by day, hour by hour. It, it doesn't really matter. But then sometimes I'll really hone in on a work and just work on that one specifically until completion. How would Graham Greene decide like what was literature versus like what was entertainment? Well, he was referring to his own books. Yeah. But like how, like what would he, what would be the distinguishing factor? Well, some of them are a little more, you know, they're when you read something like the power and the glory, um, it has, or the quiet American, it has a different perhaps in level of engagement than some of his more, you know, uh, like one of my favorite books is Our Man in Havana, but I bet I'm guessing he would consider that an entertainment because it's just more of a story that he's telling that while compelling is not perhaps as far reaching in like this expression of meaning and purpose. Um, so so it's more it's more just based on like you know how much sort of 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 a writer's soul is in the piece versus just like oh this it'd be cool to write about robots uh perhaps that perhaps that um unfortunately he's he's not available to answer the question but a lot of times i think of my books as you know either entertainments where you know you're not as engaged with the prose initially it's more like a developing a narrative and then as you build it in later, it starts to distinguish itself based on, you know, where you're putting your value in that particular work. Because I you, love storytelling. I love just writing down stories and getting those things out. Um, but it's not necessarily what I would consider my best literature, which is still a work in progress. <laughs> Do you in advance decide like this is this thing that I'm trying to get across that like relates to like me or this 
idea of the world or whatever, and I'm going to convey it through like this story. Or is it like, I'm just going to like write this story. And then like afterwards you think like, Oh fuck, that was about my childhood or neither. Um, I've spent a lot of time in therapy. So I feel like when I'm writing about my childhood, it's, I, there, it's, it's present. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I think for me, it's just, it, there's so much of a self-expression in everything uh, you're doing, I know in, in a, in a book that I, in the book that I had published, uh, I make some jokes about writers in it, but I'm making them about myself and I see myself in the characters at the same time. It's, you know, there's a variety of self-expression and sometimes you just take pieces of your life or pieces of who you are and it's, um, you're not inserting them into the narrative. It's just as a writer, they're naturally occurring. It's like a an unintentional bias, the way we shape our characters, the way we think of these things. There's a, a presentness with, you know, for the writer all the time. Um, so I, I don't know if I've necessarily shaped out like a, like a, this is me character. And I, I certainly haven't done uh, autobiographical writing for, uh, publication um but i think i think for me there still is that that element of being there um do you like how much do you map out of your characters and story like in advance like is it all just kind of like bullet pointed and then you start writing or is it like you just figure it out as you go along oh man now i'm starting to feel like i'm the worst person to have on this show cuz i'm uh, all over the place. So it depends on the work. And um, so I'm working on a, a sort of a. By the way, I just wanted to say like my, like I'll, I'll think of like, oh yeah, like I'm going to start doing like this thing uh, and then I'll do it for like a week. And then like, it's going to move on to like, I, I have like a million different like systems or whatever. So like, you know, no judgment by the way. No, 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 totally. Here's where we are. So one book that I'm working on has a revisionist history uh, from from way, way, way back. And that one I had to plot out because it has to fit within, you know, I plotted out so much of the details. I have maps. I'm a I love drawing maps because I, I'm not going to try and justify that. I, I just like drawing maps. I do it with my nephews. We have a good time. Um, but oftentimes if I'm writing a story, that's, uh, I'll have like a map if it's, if it follows some sort of, uh, you know, adventure narrative where people are changing locations or I need to refer to multiple things because I have a hard time keeping track of them. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll keep sort of, charts or notes in that way um, with some of the stories as they're developing. But some things like I will start writing because I'm writing about, you know, a person I saw at a gas station or um, I'm frustrated because I can't get these certain shoes or it can be the most inconsequential event and I'll just start writing about it. And sometimes that'll just turn into its own narrative. So it's a case by case scenario. Sure. So one of them uh, is a collection of stories 
And it started with a John Prine song. And so I was thinking about this line in this John Prine song. And then I wrote a story about it. And then I started writing a collection around it. So there you go. It it doesn't even matter. It's something's just going to pop up. And that's my writing event for the day, week, month, or next several months. I don't know. Do you map out with characters like, oh, like uh, Steve over here says anyway a lot, or this person on, you know, this podcast talks like, talks with like, you know, this tone of voice. Like, do, do you have a lot of stuff mapped out like that in advance? Um, I think it's more, it's more, well, I guess I should say, I think it's less than that, you know, where it's just like key points or names, not necessarily the nuance of the character. I guess when I'm building out stories and building out these things in my head, the characters start to take development. So it feels, they feel independent of each other. So I don't have as much, um, I don't focus as much on that in my notes. Um, I just kind of work on that in as I'm writing, but I will have notes about other things, you know, places, times, location. I, it depends on how specific I'm getting and how far reaching the story is. You, uh, you, you, you talked about it for a second, a minute ago, but like, are your characters often loosely based on people, you know, I mean, not really. I mean, I take, like I said, you take pieces from everything, um, you know, from, you know, a certain person's, you know, uh, I'm trying to think about how to say this right. You know, uh, you know, a certain person might joke in a certain tone and it stays with you or, and another person might, you know, wear a certain type of hat and, you know, somehow those two independent things sort of coalesce into an independent character that's separate from the people that you know, but still absorb certain qualities. Um, that's probably also best for like when I was, you know, much younger, I would write short stories that were like, you know, loosely based on people and not necessarily in the great light all the time. And I thought that I like, you know, changed enough so that I was, you know, protecting you know, privacy and being, being sly. And then, you know, people did come up to me and were like, Jason, this is fucking about me. Um, so it's probably nice for you. You don't have to deal with, deal with that with anybody. Yeah, no, uh, I have to deal with people in a different way, but yeah, that, that's just not really, I mean, a lot of the things that I write are not, um, I would say anchored to my life or reality other than perhaps the ideas that I hold. Um, how do you decide when you think it would be good to throw in things like adjectives and metaphors and things that are kind of, uh, more garnish for a sentence as opposed to just saying like, he walked down the street, but saying like, he walked down the street, like he was a bat out of hell or like whatever, like, is there... Is, is is there a certain ratio in your mind that you strive for? 
Oh, I don't, I don't strive for a ratio. I'm really bad at grammar. Um, there are a lot of people who proofread things that I do before they are released to any sort of public sphere. Um, so, uh, but in, ter- in, in terms of how I sent structure my sentences, you know, I've, I really like the way Cormac McCarthy writes. I like, I like uninterrupted reading. I believe, you know, when something reads quickly, um, a lot of times with, especially with modern audiences, not that we write to our audience, but at the same time, you know, we just move through stories faster. And sometimes if the language is cumbersome, it can be a distraction from the experience of reading. Now, but you're reading somebody like Nabokov and that language is oftentimes cumbersome. It can be something that people are rereading or or other things. And I, um, there are writers that I still, I love and they have an entirely different um, approach. But for me personally, as a writer, I generally lean more towards um, kind of a sparser structure. You know, yeah. less, you were more like a an Elmore don't, stick too much in your sentence approach. I try to go through and like cross out adjectives or take things out that are what I consider a hindrance. Um, And I know it's hard for a lot of writers, but I try not to treat anything as precious. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why Cormac McCarthy is like the goat is just like how, how direct it is. And uh, I think that's why he's so good. Yeah. But you read Blood Meridian and it is fucking beautiful. It's like, I mean, you know, but the language, the way the way he uses imagery, it's all there. It's all there. Mm-hmm. It's just when you're reading it, the sentences are very, you know, concise or they don't. He's not there's no semicolons. Um, he's just kind of moving through that. Right. Yeah, Vonnegut had a quote about how like semicolons do nothing but prove that you've been to college. Yeah, I've been to college. I still don't get the semicolon. I know it's problematic. I do not I do not do as well with grammar as I would like to, but thankfully I, I have some strong copy editors in my life. Tell me about recording a podcast serial, like how you got into that. Um the so like the fiction podcast we did? Mm-hmm. I had an idea about creating sort of a this space noir series, talked to a friend about it. And um, I was just trying to think of different ways to give writing, you know, like be able to, you know, how do you share your writing in a way that's like fun and engaging not just a lot of times when you're writing you can feel like you're shouting into an abyss Mm -hmm. you know i have a lot of things that i have not published nor do i intend to but sometimes you want to you know release some things and so the podcast approach was definitely a more of a diy thing than going through any sort of traditional mode of publication um and i love I love that format. You know, I used to do, uh, you know, things with, you know, plays or um, 
you know, we, we all are so drawn to our television programs these days. I, I don't even, our streaming shows that creating something sort of to that structure. I, I just really like the idea of doing it. Was, and, was that mainly what inspired you was kind of like just how TV shows now are such an extended thing or were you inspired by anyone else in particular? No, that actually was a big draw. I mean, I, I there's a lot of noir writers um, that I like, and I sort of had this crossover with my friend where um, we both like these these certain kinds of gritty stories. Um, obviously, fiction or science fiction is where I, where I do a lot of writing. So combining those things and then releasing in that format just seemed like like the right way to do things. It just, uh, I just thought it fit the format well. And there's been a lot of really great um, shows that have come out that are sort of reshaping how we see, uh, you know, shows in general, like television shows. It used to be like the, um, you know, that, that backward cousin of film. And uh, they were in totally different spaces. And I think especially in the era of streaming, we're seeing that sort of convergence where people are doing, you know, sort of a cinema level work, uh, but with an extended narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. You can do it in podcasts too. I like that accessibility. Like, would you record everybody live when you did it or uh, uh, yeah. was it one at a time? No, actually we put like a recording room in our, in our place. My, uh, we held auditions. I think we had like a 25 person cast. So we would, most of the scenes, there weren't more than, you know, a few people at a time. I think we could record up to like five at a time. Um, I don't know if the table got more crowded than that. And then the, there are some of the one-off sounds that we would record separately, but, um, but where, where there's dialogue in that we recorded that. Mm-hmm. You know, with the the group coming together, and then of course you're doing audio, you're doing editing afterwards. So uh, maybe this person says this line better in a different place. You know, that's the the joy of editing, right? Why are people so much more impressed by people who read a lot of books and write books than people who listen to a lot of podcasts and make podcasts? Um. It's it's a valid question. There's so many layers uh, with these things. It's like, is it art or is it craft? Is it, you know, highbrow art or no? I just don't like those distinctions anymore. I just think we should not draw barriers, but, you know, draw lines, draw barriers. Uh, I'm great at a mixed metaphor. Um, it's just any mode you choose can be art or it can be shit. Or it could be somewhere in between the two where you're building a hobby. Um, there are lots of, you know, artistic things that I might do just for creativity's sake that I would not consider art. Um, but I think that much like Graham Greene, it's a self-evaluation because we need to move away from <laughs> defining things from other people. Like somebody, a lot of installation art that has become, in my view, more commodified 
um, I don't necessarily regard as art in the same way I see it as kitsch. There's a, there's, you're devaluing it through commodification and, you know, some, some contemporary art pieces that, that kind of move uh, in that direction. Sometimes I'll be like, I don't know about this, but then at the same time, I have a sister-in-law who does ceramics and something where she's making a mug or a vase or something like that. It's elevated to the the level of art because of, you know, what, not only what goes into it, but the, the creative vision shaping it. So I just think we, as a world, we need to move away from constantly defining things for other people. Yeah. I just, I just mean how, like, if I said to a person like, oh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. If I said like, I read a lot, then they would assume like, oh, he must be smart. Is that the, is that the way it works? Is it? <laughs> not in my world. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. not saying that that's, that should be how reading it is a, or anything. Reading but is a really good thing. I'm a big proponent of reading. I do believe um, it helps shape the way we think and the way we think about other people. So huge proponent of reading. And there's something about the secluded engagement that you have with it. You're not interacting with other people. It's like very much words to brain. Um, and I like that. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of different modes to communicate art these days and, uh, people need to not be so anchored to those ideas. So for me, I love it. Um, it's the same thing with street art, the way people approach that. It's like, it's like beforehand it was graffiti and now it's, you know, getting recognized oftentimes as something more, it's becoming something more or became something more a while back. And, you know, the way that these people catch on to these things is, you know, appalling in its own way, but also it takes a long time to change people's ideas about things, but people have a lot of dumb ideas. Um, this is this is probably a, a good time then to start talking about death. Do you want to talk about death? <laughs> I always want to talk about death. I talk about death all the time. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to play it cool. I'm terrified of dying. Oh, and so you, are. you don't seem to have that fear based on, you know, conversations with you and listening to your podcast. Right. Yeah. I'm not afraid to die. Now, yeah. I don't want to die. Just to be very clear, I'm having a good time here. I don't want to like toss off the mortal coil. Um, but I would say, you know, I grew up there. was There I, there was never a time in my life that I didn't know I was going to die. So um, everybody has those existential moments when you when you think about casting yourself into the abyss um, and the not knowing. But for me, because I was there was that exposure that acceptance that it was a normative part of the human experience. Uh, I think it was very shaping. I think my brother is the same way. We both have a very, what I would consider healthy, um, mainly healthy relationship to death. <laughs> yeah. And it but, seems like from like, you know, listening to the mortician's daughter and I'm sure with like, you know, how you have to interact with people in your, in your family business, 
it kind of gives me the same vibe as like when you're little and like you have a teacher who like really seems like they have their shit together. So like, it seems like, you know, things are, things are all right. Things are like running smoothly because this person like knows what's up. So it seems like you kind of like have that sort of like confidence of, uh, (laughs) of talking about death. Like you're not like, you know, at least like on the podcast, like you're not like, you know, freaking out or anything about it. No, I have a lot of anxiety, but sometimes numerically representing that helps me out a lot. Like, um, and sometimes it doesn't like when I found out there's a 6% chance of dying young from, uh, like an accident. And I figured maybe car accident plays into that, but you know, that there's this percentage that you could just fall and hit your head. And sometimes those things can be a little anxiety inducing. Um, but, um, Overall, I'm very comfortable with those topics. And it's not just the experience growing up with being around it. Um, But even as I got older, you know, as a child watching people respond to like jokes I would make or being at our house and having something there that's outside of their experience that, you know, brings up death. Um, You know, I, I learned a lot about other people's ideas about dying. And then over the years, people have just shared with me their experiences of loss or the challenges they face when thinking about it. So I've gotten very comfortable with those conversations. Um, How does that affect you with like writing? Like, do you have any sort of like hope for being reaching this many people or being remembered a certain way? Or do you just kind of do it for do it for the love in the moment? Yeah, I honestly, I, I, like I said, I think these things are, um, you know, I'm just such like a, I'm not very concerned about if my writing is going to live on after me. Um, I don't think I, I need that in order to live a good life. And, um, I think it's more important for people to enjoy the lives that they have as long as they aren't negatively impacting other people. And that means a lot of different things in this day and age. Mm -hmm. There's many layers to that particular element, but I think facing the idea that we all are going to die, you know, you have to think, what do I need to do to feel okay when that day comes? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they have this sort of, um, you know, spiritual or religious structuring of that, which, um, and then some people approach it from a a different way. But for me, it's very real world. Um, What do I want to do with my life that is going to be, that's going to make me feel okay if I die, like if I die tomorrow or, you know, 10 years from now, you have to feel, you have to feel okay about it. That's my feeling. You know, it's going to come for all of us. And so we can't sit there and be like, I want to do all of these things someday because that makes you regret that one day that it didn't go right. Well, that seems like as good a time as any to bring this to a close. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for for joining me today. Yeah. And uh, thanks for inviting me. I encourage you to face your own demise. Um, it's good for it's good for you it's good for everybody <laughs>